Welcome back to Keep Digging for Life. We will be focusing this week on a general introduction on eschatology, particularly the millennium. Now don't be scared. Eschatology can sound scary. Ooh, eschatology. But we will see it has incredible bearing on our current life. It is basically the study of last things. So without further ado, let's keep digging. So, historically, what did the church think? Were they amil, pre-mill, post-mill, something in between? Well, from the earliest generation of church fathers, starting with uh, Bastille in the eight in the eighties. The declaration has been made that the uh, millennium was a literal millennium. Side note, Bastille was also the one that argued and said that Christians were meeting on the seventh day. Switching the day of worship from the Sabbath to the day of Christ's resurrection. So, the argument of Seventh-day Adventists that it was the Roman Catholics that changed it is not a viable solution because we have someone 50 years or less from the existence of the church that demonstrate this shift, which is another radical point to Christianity. We even have people such as Justin Martyr. His last name wasn't Martyr. He was just identified as a martyr uh, and took that on. That advocated that we, referring to himself, and others like him, take the literal interpretation of Revelation 20, meaning the thousand-year reign of Christ. He did acknowledge in his statement that this was a... there were others that held to differing views. So you see this um, acknowledgement that the other... Interpretation of it not being literal uh, is present. But he says about himself that we are in our right minds. So it's kind of a poke and a jab at the at the other believers by saying that he, Justin, is in his right mind implying that none of the the other group isn't. Not the most charitable thing to say, but it gets the point across. Then there was Irenaeus, 
who did a lot of good work in um, helping to fight against the heresies of the second century, most notably uh, Marcion and Gnostic heresies. Now, Irenaeus did something interesting. He advocated for a premillennial view, but he went a little bit further than Justin. He connected the amillennial view to Gnosticism. Now, that's quite interesting. And it kind of makes sense because Gnostics were known to spiritualize anything, look for deeper meaning or true knowledge. So, why this shift? If we started out with almost an entirely premillennial view, what caused it? Well, one word, Constantine. Now, Constantine, if you don't know, was the Roman emperor in the 4th century. What he did was both a good thing and a bad thing. He legalized Christianity and later made it the official religion. But what did that do? That basically made it so that the persecution of Christians would stop. In fact, it made it so that it was advantageous for people seeking political gain to join Christianity. So you had a flood of converts. What does that do? Well, the advantage of premillennialism is it's looking toward a future hope. It often gets wider possibility when things are getting worse and worse because it illustrates that Christ is the only one that can make it better. Well, with the influx and Christianity being accepted, a lot more positive mood came. Why would we need Christ to come? Everything's better now. The millennium is now. We, we see the church taking on a better role. And, and that certainly was the case. In addition, as Christianity became to be more accepted, the elites particularly in areas such as Antioch, which was famous for its allegorical interpretation, which I will do a separate podcast on that, don't worry, um, saw it as foolish to maintain a literal hermeneutic because it was too easy. It was too easy to take a thousand years to literally mean a thousand years. In fact, Eusebius, the famous church historian, in about the 4th, 5th century, late 4th, early 5th, he, referring to Eusebius, referring to Pappas, who was an early 1st, late 1st, early 2nd church father, a person that has high influence on the church, or writings on the church, rather, said that Pappas, in believing 
in a literal millennium was an idiot and ignorant. So we essentially see these shifts occur. Well, you might ask then, what caused post-millennialism to come about? Oh, by the way, before I forget, the amillennial view is the official view of the Roman Catholic Church. Not saying all Catholics believe in the amillennial view because what the church says in official doctrines and what Individual Catholic beliefs don't always match up, just the same as it is in our Protestant churches, so no ill will toward Catholic here is an amillennial view. Alright, so where did post-millennialism came about? Well, it came about primarily in the 15, no, 16 to 1700s. When there was a ton of evangelism occurring. William Carey. The, started the whole missionary movement. With John Whitfield and Wesley. And Hudson Taylor. There was a giant boom. And throwing uh, Dwight L. Moody in the mix. So there was a ton of optimism. As to all the evangelism going on. And people began to think, well, we can bring the kingdom here. We we don't it's it's getting better, it's improving. And just to review, postmillennialism says that as we spread the gospel, the world will improve and get better and better and better. But <laughs> I bet you can guess what kind of put an end to that. That's right, World War One and World War Two. World War One kind of demonstrated that the world wasn't getting better and better. It was filled with atrocities. It completely destroyed that optimism. And just in case there was any little optimism left, 20 to 30 years later, there was World War Two. Oh, gosh, by the end of it. So, theologians had two choices. They could essentially go to Amil, which honestly is the majority view today, and or go to pre-mill. Now, pre-millennialism never really went away, but it kind of restarted when there was more of a shift post-Reformation of looking and reading at the Bible literally. The Reformers themselves did not have a premillennialist view, so to speak. They were so steep in their Catholic theology. As Dr. Adair points out, Martin Luther, a founder of the Reformation, is more Catholic than most Protestants. In fact, Martin Luther's goal wasn't to start a new 
denomination or new splinter group. His goal originally was to create a reformation eh? Eh? where the Catholic Church wouldn't be totally gone away with, but it would be totally reformed. Unfortunately, as one of my professors, John Hanna, says, Martin Luther is a bull in the China shop. So, that is, so as people were looking at the Bible from a more literal perspective, premillennialism began to rise and it was more or less reinforced by people like Darby, who was the founder of dispensationalism, a system that I will talk about if I haven't already. Full cards on the table. I am a dispensationalist. <laughs> Which is kind of a dangerous thing to say. Because in academia, dispensationalism aren't... Dispensationalists aren't really liked. Um, but, what have you. That's where I am. That's my full cards on the table. So, now we will go through the different views on the millennium. Uh, the strengths and weaknesses of each. So, thanks for holding on for me. I know this was a little bit of a longer segment, but thanks. Before we begin, I would like to say that this uh, podcast is indebted to the work of several people, most notably and recently, Dr. Adair, who teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary, who happens to be my professor for this class in my class in eschatology. So that is completely indebted to him, as well as some of my other Bible professors, such as Dr. Brian Lidfin, uh, Finkbeiner, and and many, many others. So, with that out of the way, let me talk to you about what the millennium actually is. When people say the millennium, what do they mean? This has a lot of popularity, most notably from the Left Behind books by Jerry Jenkins. The millennium refers to a thousand years. That's, in general, what the term means in, in anything. We're in, when 1999 went to 2000, it was called the new millennium. If you watch a whole bunch of sci-fi like I do, they talk about uh, millenniums all the time. The Millennium Falcon was a hint and a nod to this. But what do we mean in theology? We are referring to a thousand years reign in Christ. Reign of Christ, sorry, that uh, occurs according to the book of Revelation in chapter 20. Now, as we shall see, there's a serious amount of debate as to this. 
it mainly centers around how we should interpret the scripture of Revelation 20. There are some that take the scripture to be very figurative. It's just a figurative reign of Christ. It's symbolic because a lot of the elements are symbolic. So therefore, it is not uh, a literal thousand-year reign. There, there are others that take it as a literal thousand-year reign that will begin when Christ returns. That is called pre-mill. The previous one that I mentioned was amill. And then there, amillennium meaning a non-millennium, or to be more favorable to them as we will see, a millennium is not, millennium not in the sense of a straightforward millennium. And then there is post-millennium, where we as Christians bring the millennium. Now, to lay all my cards on the table, I am a premillennialist. And just to be perfectly clear, this is not an, an area where uh, I would break fellowship over someone. To state it another way, View, correct views on the millennium are not necessary for salvation. The only thing that is necessary for salvation in, is belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Fully committing yourself to him. That's it. That he died and rose again for our sins. Amen. Hallelujah. That's it. But it is important to reflect and think on these things. I will do my best to present each of the uh, points fairly, starting with uh, amillennialism, then starting with postmillennialism, and then premillennialism. But before that, I want to take you through a historical treatise of how, of what the early church thought. Again, just because the early church thought it doesn't make it golden, but it should be something that we should consider. They are still men like we are, but they can help us realize whether or not we are coming up with a wackadoodle idea or not. So without further ado, the history on views of the millennium.
So let's start with amillennialism. What is it? What are its strengths? What are its weaknesses? What are its influences? Well, as I said before, it kind of came to rise around the 4th and 5th century. And what amillennialism generally say, again, it kind of varies from person to person, is that Christ is already reigning. He is reigning on his throne. He is in charge. Satan is already bound. We are in the millennium now. And this comes from passages of scripture where uh, Jesus all throughout the gospel says, the kingdom of God has come, the kingdom of God has come, the, the kingdom is within you, so on and so forth. Uh, and it is, they believe that Satan is literally bound, has less of an influence. Now, <laughs> you can probably already see where I find problems with that. One of the big ones is Satan and his demonic forces are not bound. Uh, if you spend five minutes in the news, you'll realize that they're still killing, lying, cheating, strife in the world. That, to me at least, demonstrates that Satan is remains unbound and deceiving the nations. In fact, the very purpose of his bounding is so that he can't deceive the nations. The other issue that I have is, uh, one, it doesn't take the passage of Revelation 20 literally. It interprets it figuratively. And there are several other passages, like Isaiah 26, uh, Isaiah, the end of uh, the end of Ezekiel, and there's several other passages in Isaiah. I believe, uh, well, 26 through 28 all talk about the millennium. So to say that it's not a literal millennium or that Revelation 20 is the only passages that teach on it, which is what all millennialists say, is not full uh, truth, so to speak. Now, their statement that uh, Christ is reigning is kind of half true. Yes, he is reigning, but he is reigning in the sense of God's, I'm going to use a big word here, but don't worry, I'll define it. Mediatorial reign. I know that's a $5 theological word, but here's what it means. It means God is reigning in general over the entire earth. He is not reigning directly as he would on David's throne. The other issue I have with the all-millennial view, and this gets into the David's throne issue, is God made a specific promise to David that he will reign 
he will have a kingdom forever, and there will reign, and there will reign in Jerusalem. That is an unrevocable promise. Now, granted, the kings were, uh, <laughs> to say it nicely, very unfaithful. But the king just demonstrated that they needed a different kind of king, a godly king. And I would argue that in the gospel, Jesus is making a legitimate offer to the kingdom. If you want more information on that, I can do a separate episode. But he is making a legitimate offer. Uh, what is often stated by all millennialists is, well, either it wasn't a legitimate offer. No, let me back up. What is often stated by amillennialists is the Jewish people rejected him and therefore God rejected the Jewish people because they rejected the Messiah as if that was the last and final straw. Uh, Paul directly contradicts this in Romans 9 where he says that God has not rejected the Jewish people. He also, if God would have wanted to reject the Jewish people. He would have had plenty of reason to do it. So, I find that argument unfruitful. And going back to the Jewish people, one of the main issues I have with amillennialism is the fact that if we take an amillennialist point of view, and if God isn't fulfilling his promise to David, we have no reason to hold to and believe that God will fulfill his promises to us through Jesus. So, that is one of the main reasons why I am not for the amillennial point of view, but I have several friends who I highly respect, like Bill Hayden, that are amillennialists. Well, that's unfortunately all the time we have this week. So tune in next week when I finish the millennium and how it impacts our lives. As always, keep digging and free to feel free to send me any questions you might have. Bye.